Hello and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. I have a super awesome announcement. What would you say if I could give you a chance to be mentored by the world's leading international thought leaders, authors, speakers, and change makers. It's time for you to create space for miracles with the launch of the Radical Shift Summit for anyone wanting to experience change in their lives. Commencing on the 9th of October, over an eight-day period, these global gurus will help you understand how to achieve lasting positive transformation and make a quantum leap in life and in business. The summit offers teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, cognitive psychology, medicine, philosophy, and much more. So don't miss out. This summit is an information-packed, intensive course that will help you to understand the complex connection between your mindset and behavior. Make no mistake, this is not just a talk fest. Workshops and presentations are designed with practical everyday life tips that you can easily apply at home, work and in life. And all you have to do is go to www.radicalshiftsummit.com So it's R-A-D-I-C-A-L-S-H-I-F-T-S-S-U-M-M-I-T.com and grab your free pass now. Today we have the amazing Kerry Tucker for you. After spending nearly five years in Victoria's maximum security prison for women, Kerry was released with her Master of Arts and was successful in completing her doctorate in 2014, which is an extensive research and multi-publication of the study of women in prison as a community from the perspective of a participant and observer. Whilst incarcerated, she was the lead peer educator which involved liaising, negotiating and advocating for and on behalf of every woman prisoner for the term of her sentence. She was sole representative for the community of women in appearing with them in governor courts, magistrates and county court pleas, parole board submissions and DHS negotiations. She was granted her own office in prison where she represented over 4,000 in hearings. For the last six months of her sentence, Kerry worked by day at a law firm and returning to the prison at night. Kerry continues in this role since being released and advocates for post-release women in the community. 
Kerry was the inspiration behind Wentworth and in January 2012, Kerry was appointed Story and Prison Authenticity Consultant for Fremantle Media to consult on the newly announced remake on Foxtel of the hugely successful cult television series Prisoner Wentworth that premiered in May 2013. Foxdale recently purchased her ABC Australian Story episode and edit throughout 47 countries in Asia as part of the Best of Australian Stories in 2010. Let's tune in to Kerry Tucker's inspirational story. Enjoy. Today we have an extremely special guest for you, Kerry Tucker. Welcome to I Am One Project. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me, Catherine. Uh, you are most welcome. I um, invited uh, Kerry's uh, Kerry Tucker to the show because she has such an inspirational story that I'd love for all of our listeners to tap into and I find Kerry a very inspirational woman. So for our listeners, Kerry, would you like to tell us a little bit about your story? Well, I guess my story focuses around the fact that I was in prison, a maximum security prison for women for five years. Um, and prior to that, I was just a normal suburban mum of two little, very little girls at the time, um, my daughters. And um, I found myself uh, in a maximum security prison. I was convicted of corporate fraud. Um, and, you know, when I went into prison, it was... Um, my forensic psychiatrist uh, diagnosed me with having a dissociative identity disorder, um, which was previously called multiple personality disorder. Um, but I was about the only person who had no idea that I was was quite ill. I, I guess that's the point of it, um, dissociative identity disorder. But um, everyone else used to think that, you know, what which carry is it today and whatnot. They'd all talk amongst themselves and, and whatnot. Um, so I was quite surprised to be told that um, it wasn't taken into consideration at all in the in the court anyway. Um, but I think it actually helped me a lot when I was in in prison because I was able to um, to segment you know trauma and fear. Um, I was able to stand up to bullies because I had that rescuer sort of distortion going. So um, and interestingly enough, when I went to trial two years after I was in prison. Um, just before I went to trial, they came out and tested me. And on the scale, I was about a six or a seven out of ten. Seven is sort of nudging where you um, give people names and things like the personalities, names and clothes and whatnot. Um, and then when I was leaving prison, I didn't register on the scale at all. So um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, in a place like a maximum security prison, um, I was able to heal psychologically. And that was through being able to help other women as well. So from your journey, from uh, when you're talking about multi-personalities, um, it, it, talk us through that. Like, How did you heal yourself through that process and what was the process for our listeners? Because I'm sure there's, you know, I think that we all have uh, levels of multi-selves uh, and it's about mm. identifying what those selves are and then working with them. So talk us through how you did that, that yeah. part. And, and I agree with you there. I don't think it, you know, in, in some circumstances it can be, not so great, but when you're put into another traumatic circumstance, like a maximum security prison, it can actually work for you because your your brain does do it for you. It's a self defence mechanism. Um, I was I was actually in the remand unit, which is the most volatile place of the of the prison, and I was helping women. You know, my job was to help women that arrived to prison and help them settle in, get 
them phone calls to their kids, make sure that they were feeling okay. We sort of try and um, negotiate with them and I'd set them up with different support groups that, you know, that I knew they had connections with or, or whatnot. But it was also understanding their trauma. It's really important that people understand that, you know, women in prison, nearly all of them were victims of crime before they ever became perpetrators of crime. So these women mostly 74% or, or whatnot are drug addicts and that's come from childhood sexual abuse, um, rape, so on and so forth, all of their addictions. Mm. So, you know, understanding those, the other important thing is that about 90% of women that arrive in prison have come from immediately prior to their crime or during their crime from a domestic violence situation. So that's how much it impacts on these women and being able to sit down and listen to their stories, what they've done, their histories, you know, it made me realise that, you know, you know, I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. You know, I was a little bit broken. Um, and being able to sit and empathise with them to such an extent that I did because I, I really liked these women, I think it gave, gave me a little bit back to myself and it made me start thinking and I, I critically thought all the way through my sentence and it maybe it just sort of adjusted you know the way I was thinking in my mind I don't know mm. but that's that's something that you know I, that definitely helped me so so what I'm hearing is you're uh, while you were in prison you were helping other women and as you were doing that it brought to light uh, some of the stuff that you were going through. Because I know even with me, with coaching, a lot of the stuff um, that I'm dealing with quite often comes up in my coaching sessions when I'm with a coaching client. It's almost like that mirror is held in front of me, which then makes me reflect a lot about me uh, later on. Is that very similar to what you went through? Absolutely. I come from the right side of the tracks. So I was a bit of a bit of a trophy wife in that sense, you know, a very unhappy marriage, um, two beautiful children, but, you know, um, a lot of trauma and, uh, you know, I was always putting on uh, appearances, you know, um, that I was uh, totally in control, you know. Um, it wasn't until I, I went to prison I, I realised just how, what a facade it was, you know, how, how cracked the mirror was, you know, um, in being able to understand other people. Empathy is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and I think I was, you know, a little judgmental um, of, of things I didn't understand, I guess. Um, so, you know, being able to help help other women and being in that situation of being able to just step up and go, well, actually, this is this is something I can do, um, is a very empowering thing. You know, it, it, it restores a little bit of what you've lost of your, your humanness, I guess. Mm, and empathy is not that easy. When you're talking about empathy, it's actually being able to stand in somebody else's shoes and actually, um, you know, see and hear from where, from their perspective. And that's not always easy to do, is it? No, and most people don't do it because it's uncomfortable and two, they feel they, they don't have to do it because nothing's ever going to happen to them. And, you know, you just never know. You know, every person in there comes from, you know, some, some wonderful, wonderful families, you know. Um, you know, they're all sisters and mothers and aunts and, and, and whatever else. So, you know, the, the, the part about being judgmental, um, you know, I see these traumatised women and, and the children that are left with, you know, people on the outside, you know, who are committing these heinous crimes on the outside, you know. It's, um, it's, it's really hard to be judgmental unless you are an absolute uh, pure soul. Mm. So, Kerry, talk us through what exactly were you, do, were you working through with these women uh, when, you, when you were actually in prison for five years? What were you doing? Well, I, I realised very quickly 
that I could become very handy in the sense that um, when I got there, there was about uh, 38 out of 40 people going for their parole and, and not getting it. And, um, and my point of view was that, well, they're entitled to it, they've earned it, and it gets them back out of the community so they can start becoming a member again, and, and more importantly, with their children. And what I found was that they just weren't articulate, and they were very angry. So um, basically, I got my own little office, and I sat there, and I represented each woman, and it went from about, you know, two out of 40 getting their parole to about 38 out of 40 getting their parole. And that was by just giving them a fair and accurate representation at their parole hearing um, via a, a, a legal letter that I would submit, rather than the girls that rather than the girls having to state their own case because you know they're 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 angry they're they're not articulate and um, and that doesn't come across really great for the parole board. Plus, they were being you know denied parole because they hadn't done certain programs when certain programs weren't available. So I felt it was just it was a very very unfair, and I felt that it was un, uh, stacked against them. So, Kerry, I'm curious because I find that inspirational in itself that you actually did something while you were there. What was your driver? What drove you to do what you did? Uh, I wanted I wanted more than anything to be able to come out. One of the reasons I, I, I when I went to prison, I didn't appeal it. And I stayed in a maximum security prison by choice the whole time. I wanted to do it hard and I wanted it to be seen that I had done everything that was that was asked of me and required of me and requested of me so that when I got back out, I wasn't answerable to anybody. You know, I, I fulfilled exactly and I, and I contributed to the community while I was in prison um, so that I could hold my head up and, you know, when I, when I got out. So it was very important to me then I realised that, you know, I needed to invest in the community around me. And, you know, I was never one to, that was going to sit there just, you know, sunbaking all day. You know, I did have my days, but, <laughs> you know, um, I was always going to be, uh, I'm a fairly motivated sort of person, so I was always going to be their voice. I liked the women and they trusted me. Um, and, you know, so it was, that was how important it was. I just love that. And I think for me too, I have this um, um, in my mind, and you hear this quite often that when people get out of jail, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's a quite high percentage, they return uh, back to jail because there's that, you know, they they can be so authentic, be themselves, they don't have to pretend to be anything else, that they feel this sense of comfort in jail rather than going out and then pretending to be something that they're not. Talk us through that. One of the major things is that, um, and, and I've, I've always always said, the recidivism rate is, you know, the, is is around about 48% at the moment, which which so roughly means that, you know, within two years of a woman and, or someone leaving prison, they will return. Um, and, and, and everyone sort of focuses on that. I, I tend to like to look, and, and of course we need to do a lot more, there's no doubt about that, but I also look at the 50% that don't return, you know, that, that are success stories in themselves, because one of the hardest things about prison is leaving it and I had I left there with on a Friday I had a university job to go to on a Monday I had loving family that picked me up and by Sunday night I wanted to go back and one of the reasons is that when you isolate somebody for so long and in such an insular way you do become disconnected to everything around you when you get out and it's very frightening you also know that people don't want you you know that's a that's a horrible horrible feeling shame shame takes you to a place you know, that is very hard for you to remove yourself from um, unless, you know, you work on it while you're in prison and, and when you've just been released. And also, you know, the community, you know, ha- has to realise that, you know, that everyone gets out. 
mm. you know, to, to not invest in prisons is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because, you know, in my mind, we've got captive audiences. Let's res let's make it a completely a prison where you just completely do programs to heal these women and, and men so that when they leave, they are the very best person they can be when they leave. You know, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and, and so, you know, it, it is really, really, really difficult for people that leave prison because most of the time they haven't been adequately prepared for it. So it sounds like the the actual focus should be internal where we, where you support these individuals internally before they get out rather than the other way around because yeah. oh, it sounds totally. like externally there's not enough fo uh, support, is there? No, no, it, externally it'll never work, you know. Internally, it does, you know, and and this is my point. You, you know, your your sentence is when, you know, you, you know, prison is your sentence. You know, being being denied programs and whatever else within prison isn't part of the sentence. Your exclusion from the community is. So while you're excluded from the community, you should be prepared from day one to re-enter the community because because you go through such a, a, an amazing thing. You've got to remember, most people that are in prison, uh, you know, and particularly women are non-violent, you know, so, you know, this isn't, this isn't a huge thing for the community, that they're more of a nuisance to the community than they are a threat to the community. So my mind, they're also mothers, it becomes a, a cycle, you know, if um, when, when their children are sort of left out in the cold as well, there's a, there's a lot of work that could be done. But unfortunately, the community tend to think that, that putting money into prisons is a waste of time and there's nothing more ridiculous than that than that idea because people are going to come out worse than when they went in and you know that's that's just not of any benefit to the person to the individual or to the family or to the community so true. so Kerry who's going to carry your legacy like you did such a great job in there because you were not only helping women but you wrote a book as well which I'd love uh, for you to talk us through that but who's going to carry your legacy I, look, I don't know. Um, there is a program, it's called, you know, we were peer educators and generally when what someone leaves, you know, somebody else is goes through a six to 12 week training course and they're selected to become part of the peer program again. Um, so th there's always somebody to, um, you know, to step into that, that, that role or my role. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, so I don't know who's actually the peer workers now, so um, I can't really speak to that. Mm. But um, when when I was there, Brendan Money was um, the general manager, and and he used to walk through the compound of a Friday afternoon, and every he knew every woman by name. He'd ask about their children by name. He invested in the women there. Um, he, you know, he he looked after us. We actually all felt a little bit safe, you know, in that sense. And I said to him, I was having trouble, you know, getting my kids in you know for visits because we my ex-husband and I hadn't had you know prison sort of um, experience and um, I said to him I need to write a book and I need you know the prison to pay for it and publish it and he said okay so uh, let's do it so you know and it's a coloring book it's it's designed so that if you know if you were in prison your husband would sit down with your kids before the visit and it goes through step by step of what they can expect in a really friendly manner because it is a very, you know, the visit centre is a very friendly place. Um, and they colour it in as they go so you can talk around what's happening so that when they get there, there's nothing frightening. And and it's still in use today. I'm really, really, really proud of it. I donated 
um, everything as far as that goes to the women's prison. But it's used a lot in the men's prisons as well and in all other legal firms uh, in Melbourne and um, legal aid, I think. Oh, I love um, that. And it's true, it can be quite scary. If you've never experienced it, uh, it would be a scary thing. So I love that. It kind of takes oh, away yeah. the fear from it. Yes, yeah. And I, and I totally understood that. You know, um, it, it, you can't just because I'm on the inside going, well, you know, after a week or so, well, this isn't so bad. And I've seen the inside of the visit centre. You know, trying to convince somebody who has nothing to do with, with, with coming to a prison, let alone bringing two small children, is not an easy feat, you know, understandably. Um, but, you know, it assisted a lot of women to see, you know, their children. And my point has always been we're not women sitting in prison going, well, you know, hey, guys, you know, they're our children, so you bring them in. You know, it's not about that at all. It's about our children's right to see their mother, mm. you know, so they don't feel abandoned, so they don't feel that, you know, mummy doesn't love them or she's run off with somebody. They need to be seen, you know, I've got two beautiful young women in now, you know, they're... They're so well adjusted, you know. They're they're socially aware. They you know they follow me in the different commitments that I have for the community. You know they're well rounded young young ladies. You know so um, you know coming to the prison was a very friendly thing for them. In that the officers went out of their way to be, you know, to, to let them know that they knew mum and they liked mum and she was a nice person and that she was never in any fear. And you know it's a it, it's everyone working together. So. Um, it's really, it's just really, really important, you know, that, that, that the children are included in everything. Absolutely. Uh, so, Kerry, during this whole journey, what has been some of your greatest lessons that you have learnt along the way? Uh, one of the greatest lessons, I guess, has been um, about empathy, mm. um, about understanding yourself and being true to yourself, not, not settling for anything, you know, um, about being brave. Brave enough to make a decision to leave, uh, brave enough to make a decision to do something or not, you know, brave enough to stand up for what you think is right, um, you know, looking after yourself, basically, and, you know, never being judgmental. Mm. And, and that's easier said than done, isn't it? Especially for women, when you're talking about, you know, being brave, sometimes, yep. you know, some of these women that you have spoken to me about, it's not, it's not yep. like, it's these situations they, they put up with and they put up yep. with until one day it was just yep. like, I've had enough. And how they respond to, I've had enough might not be, mm-hmm. I guess, the, the, who's to say that's it's right. wrong or right, but it is what it is. So it's, um, it's, yep. it's much easier said than done. Oh, it, it absolutely is, and this is, and and when, if we talk about domestic violence, this is one of the, this is one of the, the the truly bad sides of it. In the sense, is you know that you know sometimes if someone gets too broken, they they haven't got that ability to 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 make these decisions, and and people that are in these sort of environments can make and in fearful environments can make really bad decisions very very easily. Whether that is is you know um, deciding they're just in a in the spirit of the moment going to get rid of them, you know, or making bad decisions to get involved in fraud or whatever else, you know, it's it's a it's it changes who you are at the very core of your being. It's it sets your mind on different ways of making decisions. It changes your decision making ability, you know. So in that sense, we need to start educating my mind, educating at at uh, middle school level about. Um, you know, investing in yourself to make sure that you have this this core knowledge and an awareness that this is wrong, because if you haven't got that, 
you know, it's very easy to go, well, you know, this is my fault, you know, I did, I can fix this, I can change this, you know, this is what that, you know, it goes to the very core of who you are. And if you've just got that little light that says, hang on, this is wrong, it could help, you know, in a lot of different ways. We've lost a lot of women that left prison and went straight out and was murdered by their partners. So, you know, we need those programs in prison as well. Mm, that's really sad. And, and Kerry, I just think what a role model for your daughters, your daughters as well, because it sounds like you've gone, you've done a lot of the deep work as well, uh, which is why you do what you do today. Um, and I guess for me too, with the benefits of hindsight, would you have done anything different? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, but the outcomes, you know, and, and yes, I would have, but and the outcomes would have been you know, um, again, entirely different, you know, in that sense. Um, the, the thing, I don't know about, enti- about it being any different. Um, I guess the only thing I regret about the, the prison time was my time away from my daughters. Other than that, you know, I, uh, th- there's nothing I regret about that because it opened me up to a completely... Uh, a situation where you know I can be trusted enough to be their voice and their advocate and I've promised to them 10 years ago that that's what I do and I still do doing things differently in hindsight would would change the path prior to me going to prison um, so you know that I, that that's sort of debatable I, I'd like to be just on this earth with my daughters and the prison experience and move forward <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you know you quite often you know we have this conversation Everything happens for us and, you know, you don't know, like it may uh, sound, um, you know, really hard what you went through, but who's to say that if you didn't go through that, it could have been worse and you could have gone down a different road completely and not be where you are today? I Look, I totally agree. I was at a point where I was so frustrated, that, you know, that, that anything could have happened. And also, you know, I always knew that there was something that I was supposed to do. I just had this feeling that I was, I don't know, um, and 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 I feel quite fulfilled now that that now I know what that feeling was in that sense. So so I say you know I guess it does happen for a reason. It also happens because of who you are. Because I was fearful enough to make stupid decisions. Because I was a little bit mentally ill. You know, there's so many things that align to make this decision that. Um, you know, it, it's almost like it was just, it was a meteor that was going to hit Earth, you know, it was just going to happen, you know. Mm. So, Kerry, what do you do with yourself now? You Obviously, you've got the book now. You do a lot of uh, public speaking and schools and so forth. What else do you do? Um, well, I'm still in the education, you know, I'm, um, I'm not lecturing at the moment. Um, I've sort of converted over to a role of um, an executive manager for the academic side of, of the deans at a, at a college. So I'm still involved in um, you know, the education system because I, I absolutely love that. Um, my, my memoir is ramping up and about to be, to be released early next year. So um, there's the final editing of that and, and the photos and, you know, uh, it's being um, published by Penguin Random House. So mm. there's meetings you know, in Sydney and in, it's, and in Melbourne at the Melbourne office. It's, it's an amazing, amazing um, procedure of, of how to get a book out. I'm quite amazed, but I'm, I'm in great hands. They're fantastic people. Um, so that's really quite exciting as well, you know. Um, I've just got back from the Ethics Centre in Sydney where I was part of the IQ2, the Intelligence Squared debate at the Sydney Town Hall, um, you know, about prisons and whatnot. So, 
you know, I, I try and do as much as I can in and around the, you know, the, the, the prison sector as far as that goes. Um, but the book is the next really big thing. And is the book written by you or is that somebody else writing the book on your well, behalf? I've written um, half of it and, and they've now got a, a wonderful ghostwriter in to assist me to, to finish it because I, I, I was just treading water <laughs> towards the end mm. and we have it. And we have a deadline, but he's fantastic. He he knows my voice and how you know this isn't a this isn't a, 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 a this is a book about bringing women to life. You know, has a lot of humour, a lot of respect. Um, there's a certain tone that I want the book to be written in. You know, there's I don't say anything bad about anybody. I don't divulge anyone's secrets. You know, when we're in there, it's about a story about a journey and about who I encountered along the way. You know, um, and it just it, it opens up, you know, I was very involved with Wentworth because they actually used my journals for the first series um, and, and I sort of was, was a co-author or, or you know, um, contributor for the first series anyway. We, we weren't involved after that um, in creating all the characters and whatever else. So it's sort of, you know, there's a mishmash of, of Wentworth and um, Wentworth without the... Uh, Without the hysterics, basically. Yeah, and who so, were who were you in that character? Because that was prisoner, right? B, yeah, B. B. Yeah. I was going to say B. I used to love prisoner. <laughs> I used to watch it. And when yeah. you said that, straight away, I got a picture of B. Yeah. Well, that's Wentworth. Wentworth is a re-imaging of prisoner. So um, Wentworth is the new, you know, done in, in this day and age. So, but you know, as I say, it's only only the first one. But we're looking at at um, it being sort of uh, my, my memoir being sold off in the same way because it, it's, it's, it's very ripe for a series, you know, quite different to Wentworth but still, um, you know, because there's so many different characters. There is. And there was Liz. I can't remember all of them but it's, it's going yes. back a long time ago now. But <laughs> Yes, yes. So I was modelled on the new Wentworth person, not the old one. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's still... You know, people like those sort of people like those sort of stories. You know, most people will never know what it's like. Um, thankfully, mm. um, so it's also you know I see it as a as a, a historical document basically for my daughters. Mm. So you know, I want them to come away, uh, read the last page, and go, "Wow, mum," and, and feel really nice and warm and cuddly. Not you know, I don't want them to read the last page and go, "Oh God." <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so you know, this is a tribute to them, um, as as much as it is to everybody else who's sort of you know was part of the journey that that has made um, my experience one that wasn't traumatic at all. Yeah. So, Kerry, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, um, to 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 find the lost girl, and and and, and just. You know, I, I think when I was younger, I just bounced off, out, off everywhere, trying to find a place to fit in, um, and and I and I just couldn't. So so I had nothing substantial in that sense. I just I just sort of wandered around, and then latched onto basically the the first thing where I felt I might fit. Um, so it, it, I think the biggest advice is knowing who you are and and having a direction knowing what you want it's so important a lot of people say you know it's 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 really hard for our young people to make decisions about what they want to do when they're so young but it's actually not 
it's about knowing what's in you and going with that because people that wander around bouncing off different places looking for a place to fit in um, leaves itself open for, for so many problems, mm. so many miscommunications, so many misuses. It's it's really, really, it's really, really hard. So, um, you know, that's, about, that's, that's the one thing I truly look back on and can see it in my mind's eye. So... And, and it's a common, uh, you know, it's a common thing when you think about it. I mean, all yeah. of us have been lost at some stage in our life, and I yeah. think even more so now with, our, you know, I guess with social media, media, there's all these, okay. I guess, expectations of uh, yeah. what our teenagers should be uh, like, even even at school, you know, like how they're graded and where they should be at yeah. by now. And I think there's so much pressure that it's okay to be a little mm-hmm. bit lost, yeah. but I think it's important to connect with that. But, you know, we don't have those conversations and I don't think we have enough of those conversations. It's where to from here, you know, because I think people yeah. even go through school, go through university and come out at the other end and still don't know what they, they want to do. Well, um, that's right. It's the connections of, you know, I look at some and see, you know, with my family, I, I come from a large family, so, you know, people were busy getting married and doing, getting, you know, having their lives. There was no ill intent there. It's just, it just happens and people wander off, so to speak, and, and, and no one really notices because, you know, they have lives and, and whatever else. And it does happen these days too, you know. I see people that have friends that go back to grade two and three. You know, I, I don't have any connections at all from, from when I went to school at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's this, it's that sort of where, you, where you're feeling like you're just walking through the community. You're just walking through the world, but you're not actually touching and grabbing onto anybody in that sense. So that's really, really difficult because it's very hard to then, you know, um, connect on any deeper level with with people. Because and I, and I guess that's you know gave me the another ability while I was in prison as well. So, you know, but that is so important. It's so important because I think it is a platform where out of everything bad can grow. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. A, and I think it's you yeah. know the the other thing too when you were saying that you know you don't have. Um, you know, the friends from school. And so I don't either. I don't have those connections. And when I think about it, I still hear people, you know, have got friends yeah. from school and they grew up together. Yeah. And I think, well, I haven't got that. But um, and I've never had that, and that's okay. Um, you know, my friends, I can probably count on on one hand. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's okay. I think there's no. I think as the younger generation there's also pressure on how many yep. friends that you should have like especially with <laughs> facebook yeah. it's like well i've yeah. got 4964 friends how many do you have and it's like are they friends or are they just acquaintances yeah. i mean I ha- yeah. you know and i always say that to my son you know as long as you've got a, you know there's friends for life friends for a reason yeah. and friends for season and yeah. friends for life you can count on one hand and i but i also think you know the connection. You've got to have one or the other. If mm. you if you if you lose touch with all your friends and whatever else, then you need to have a family base. Yeah. And if you haven't got a family base, you need to have a friend base. Yep. You've got to have something to feel grounded and rooted to. You know. Um, yep. Otherwise, you know, you you go looking. You actually don't just sit back and enjoy life and enjoy your connections and your richness of tapestry of people and whatever else. You actually go looking for something. Yeah. Because you know you haven't got it. It's not, you know, you need to have it, so you go looking for it. And you're not doing it with a clear mind, with an innocence of, of, you know, thought or anything like that. And that's where you encounter, you know, bad, bad moves, bad decisions. Mm. 
Yeah. And, um, it, and it's, it's, you hear so often, especially, you know, I think more so, I don't know, boys seem to, more than girls, they, there's, you know, they tend to do things, um, because they think they're, um, uh, you know, indispensable and they'll live forever yeah. and nothing can happen to me and they do crazy stuff. And, you know, you get that, I say that to my son, you get one chance in this life and mm. don't do, what other people do just because you want to have fun or there's that peer yeah. group pressure. Um, if it doesn't feel right, follow that gut feeling. Don't do it. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, and, and the other thing too is that, you know, you, you do have, you know, that, that, that misguided nobility of, of thinking, you know, um, well, look, I'll work this out. I'll sort it out. I'll just do it now and I'll sort it out and I'll, you know, um, there's that impulsiveness, you know, where, where, you know, you just want to, to, to grab onto something straight away, to be a part of, to be included in or whatnot, you know. Um, and it's something that, you know, my girls are, you know, I look at my girls and they're, you know, they've got a lot of friends, they've got a loved family, you know, they've got good bases if ever they start to get a little bit insecure. And that's really, really important because if you've got no one to turn to, you've got your own mind to make decisions. And, and you know, everyone needs to be guided on decisions, you know, um, you know, to, 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 to you die, basically, you know. It's very easy to make, um, you know, and desperate people make desperate decisions very easily and very quickly. Yeah, true. And it's all about being accepted or being connection because that's yeah. the number one human need, isn't it, connection? Yes, it is, yeah. And when you haven't got it, you absolutely know it. Mm. it it's it's the one feeling that that you can't escape, that you can't, you know, it's in everything that you look at and do. You know, you look at people walking down the street differently. You you know, it, it's it's a very powerful thing. Yeah, so is. So, Kerry, what we do as we wrap up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to describe one word that best describes your personal brand. So what would be that one word for you? My personal? Your personal brand. Resilience. Resilience, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that or um, knowing what you, uh, for our listeners, they can't see you, but I've seen you a couple of times and she's always looking glamorous. So I was thinking <laughs> something more like glamour as well. It's, and when you're talking about personal brand, it's true. Like it's when you were saying, you know, you've got, you make that extra effort because of, I guess, perception too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, you know, with everybody that I deal with, you know, I'm very open and honest, uh, uh, you know, I, I embrace what I do and, and so everyone knows, you know, my background and whatever else. But but on another level, it's about connection. I've worked very, very hard to to rebuild my integrity. So that involves, you know, how I personally project myself as well so that people will, will um, you know, engage with me with who I am because once they get to know who I am, the rest will come along with it and they'll become curious about what happened and so on and so forth, rather than judging me immediately and, you know, not ever having those connections. So, you know, I make it, I made an effort. I made an effort while I was in prison. I'm, I put makeup on every single day. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I love about you, Kerry. You're authentic. You're, you say it as it is. It's not like, and I know that there's other, you know, stories and other individuals that I know that are, you know, have either come out of jail and hide it and then try to go for a job thinking they'll never get found out. Just, yeah. just I think if you stand in your truth, um, yes. And I think you always get given a second chance. I look. I tend to agree. You know, by and large, you know, people people want to give people second chances. You know, they just want to know that that they're going to earn it and they're going to respect it. You know, that's so. So in giving, there is an expectation, and you know, and that's fair enough too. You know, it's it's about 
it's about just you know accepting that people have faults and people have there's so many different reasons that people you know commit crime you know so many different reasons and you can't judge it immediately but by and large people do want to give you know um people second chances it's it's sort of the the australian way really mm. it's part of it's part of human nature yeah, and there's always a reason why people do what they do. It's not like I don't think people go out of their way to create misery for others. I think no. it's they just no. either hurt in in such a deep, deep way and just don't know how to, I guess, how to work with it. Yes, it's like once you, you know, and particularly with crimes with the girls with the, with drug addicts and, and whatever else, you know, it's trying to untangle a, a ball of wool once you once they're so heavily invested in that, you know, um, and it's it's no one no one I don't think you know makes a conscious decision. Well, you know, most most don't make a conscious decision to go and commit crime. It's a slippery slope, you know. Mm. It's one decision after the next. Yeah. So, Kerry, the other thing that we do is we wrap up the show. We always ask our woman of inspiration to leave us with three shiny golden nuggets or bits of advice that you would like to give our listeners. Uh, what would be those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Three um, nuggets as in ad advice? advice? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seek help. The first bit of advice I would do is don't think you can do it yourself. It doesn't matter what. Um, situation you're in, but certainly if you're in, you know, in a, a domestic violence situation, you know, seek help. Try it, confide, confide in somebody because nothing is going to change until you do. You know, the, the next one will be invest in yourself. Invest in those around you. Um, you know, know that you deserve better, and don't settle for second best. And the third would be consider everybody from a, from a humanitarian point of view before you pass judgment on them. I love that. So it's equality. We're all that of that common ground, regardless of what our past is. Yeah, absolutely. We're, you know, we all we're all exactly the same. Some have. You'd be surprised how many people when I, you know, when I'm out in the community or at workplaces and whatnot, and they'll sit down and I go, "Wow, you know, I've just heard about your story. Da 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 da. Let me tell you about me. You know, mm. and the amount." but no one knows about them you know um but 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 we all have stories and we all have pasts you know yeah and i think that sometimes when you have the courage and you share your story it actually gives permission for others to, sh to share their story too absolutely absolutely yeah. because you know the, the end result is that we're all mothers we're all sisters you know um we're we're all women who deserve uh the you know the equality of everybody else so true. So, Kerry, for our listeners, I know you're doing a gig in October in Melbourne. So, talk us through that, and then where can our listeners find you? What would be the best place? It's um, Melbourne Inspiration Day, and uh, it's on September the tenth. Oh, and September it's um, yeah, it's and it's uh, you know it's at Doncaster, so MelbourneInspirationDay.com um, dot au, and um, it, we're all over Facebook and, and whatnot. So it's a it's a day about just, you know, speakers that are ordinary people, not uh, you know, celebrities or anything like that. It's it's four different stories. Um it's it's music as well and dance. So, you know, everyone needs to have that sort of creative role and it's a you know, um, about expressing yourself through creativity. 
through your stories, through dance and through music. And people can get inspired. You know, these some wonderful, you know, I'm speaking at it as well, you know, but there's some wonderful, wonderful stories of, of people that have really, really overcome and they're the true inspiration. So, and of course, you know, our, the founders are just inspirational in themselves. So it's, it's going to be a fantastic day. Mm, can't wait. Obviously, I um, highly recommend for our listeners to go and check it out. And what about for our listeners if they want to follow you so they can keep an eye on your new book? Um, can they find you on what social media platform is the best place to? I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter as Kerry Tucker and um, I'm on Facebook as Kerry Tucker, but I've also got a public page on Facebook called Rev Long and Razorwire as seen on Australian Story. Um, so that's a public page and that sort of carries what I'm doing um, or what I'm connecting with in the community and a, a lot of the book stuff. Um, and Instagram uh, is Kerry Tucker again. <laughs> I keep it simple. Yeah. Thank you so much, <laughs> Kerry, for coming on the show, sharing your amazing story. I love it and uh, looking forward to meeting you face-to-face. Oh, my pleasure and looking forward to meeting you too. So um, thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. If you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care.